Hi, I'm Jean Godfrey-June. And I am Megan O'Neill. Welcome to the Goop Beauty Closet podcast. Today we're going to be talking to Harry Josh. He is one of the most amazing hairstylists on the planet. And he also makes an incredible blow dryer that we like live by for blow dries. And... Today, we're going to talk to him about everything hair. We want to know all the tips. He's a genius. Yeah. Harry's done Gwyneth's hair on numerous occasions, and they've known each other for many years, as we've known him for many years. (laughs) He's a very charming person. And what's kind of amazing is Harry's blow dryer that we live for, I don't know if you know this, the color is very distinctive. It's this beautiful the mint best color. Beautiful mint green. And Gwyneth actually helped him pick that color. So um, cool. And it's whole, you know, the color of his whole brand. We we go way back. So we're ready for like the hair tips of all time. Plus, he has a pretty incredible personal story of how he got where he is today. So sit tight and we're gonna come back and talk hair with Harry Josh. Hair with Harry. <laughs> <laughs> So, Harry, we are so excited to see you today. Megan and I have known you our whole careers, but we still have many questions for you. I love it. I <laughs> you're love one questions. Of the, <laughs> you're one of the most famous hairdressers in the world. You worked on everyone you recognize in the red carpet, including our boss, GP. And how did you get started, I guess? In the, did you always want to be a hairdresser? No. It's a very interesting situation because my parents were immigrants from India. So when they immigrated in the 70s, my dad drove a taxi, worked a 7-Eleven. So truly, truly the real immigrant jobs that you do. So my exposure to anything kind of metropolitan is non-existent. (laughs) We grew up in the suburbs. The closest big city was Vancouver, which is probably about an hour away from where we lived. So it was really something I was never exposed to, but there was always something as I got older that drew me to, it all started at the checkout stands. Yeah. Uh, while we were going grocery shopping, there would always be all like, you know, Vogue and Bazaar and all those kind of issues. And the magazines, they don't even exist anymore, but so they were there. To that. And I remember looking at those covers and thinking, wow, what a glamorous lifestyle that is. But just seeing beautiful people. It just got my mind open. And I always begged my mom to buy a magazine, you know, but she's like, that's $3 or whatever it was. You're like, that's no way. <laughs> so while she would shop, I would sit in the store and just kind of steal one and go into an aisle and just kind of flip through them and look through them and kind of got mesmerized by everything. Thing. So I became kind of obsessed with not hair, but that industry. Yeah. There was something about fashion, fashion magazines, entertainment. You know, that seemed like such a far reach for me. Again, just putting in perspective that my father was a cab driver, we were minorities in a predominantly white town, and we're reminded of that constantly. And from a young age, my parents really instilled it in my head that I should be a doctor, lawyer, engineer. That's why they came <laughs> the from, yeah, the immigrant, yeah, like this is why we came. So you could be something. I remember once flipping through a Vogue magazine and still not sure what to do with my life. I'm about probably 15, 16, 17 years old when I'm really starting to get obsessed with all the magazine, reading all the letterheads, memorizing. I didn't even know what a marketing editor was or a senior booking editor. I just memorized the, the names and I knew what <laughs> the they did. Masthead. Yeah, yeah. The whole masthead, I just memorized who they were, but what they did. But I didn't know what their jobs actually meant, but just like, oh, she's the fashion director and she's this. <laughs> So as this went on, I remember seeing a picture of an outtake. You know, they have to do behind the scenes of the cover shoot. Yeah. So very vague and fuzzy, but I'm thinking it's Cindy Crawford on the Amalfi Coast getting her hair brushed. And I want to say it's Serge Normand, but I'm not even entirely sure. So Brushing good. her hair. And it's just like a little picture. And I just thought, wow, that's a job. 
Yeah. Like I <laughs> never thought of that as a job. You yeah. know, when I worked in, I was in the suburbs. Like it's like that was never even on my application of, yeah. that right. was not a box to tick. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, but that created the bug in me. I'm like, this would be really cool. And I was always fascinated by glamour. And so that idea of hair started to at least plant a seed. It wasn't passion yet, but it was, the seed was there. So then when I graduated high school, my parents enrolled me into college because they're like, you're going to college, even though I was a very average student. And I did not want to go. But they're like, we've already done it. We've enrolled you in business school. So here are your books. We've already done everything. And you're going starting (laughs) two weeks from now. And I remember the very first day of college, I remember going into class, being so bored. And finding comrade, comrade that was there that also could tell was she's like, I don't want to be here either. I'm like, let's go downtown. <laughs> so we got on the bus and decided to just like, kind of hang around. I was very emo at that moment in my life. So I want you to visualize kind of cool. jet black hair, so a little good. bit of black eyeliner, pointy John Ooh, Fulabuck eyeliner? shoes, just on the corners. And I was listening to The Cure and all this kind of thing. So um, anyways, I used to hang outside this downtown hair salon, which is where the train would drop you off. And it was the coolest hair salon in Vancouver. Everybody who worked there was super like new agey mod. New wavy, sorry, new not wavy. new agey. Yeah. yeah, new age hadn't happened yet. Yeah, new age hadn't happened yet, but new wave was the thing. Like everyone had cool. like, you know, perms on one side, like over one eye, checkerboard hair. It was like super cool. And I was so mesmerized by it. And I, we used to just loiter outside the salon. And this went on for days. Every day we'd skip school and do this. And finally, like maybe two weeks later, the manager comes out for a cigarette break and says, like, what are you kids always doing around here? Why don't you, you know, come, come work here. here? Come work here. Oh my and so I said, good. oh, we're in college, but we're just skipping because we don't want to do it. And then they're like, well, you know, we do have an internship program here where you work from morning to night. And, you know, you wash hair, you sweep the floors. Amazing. And in the evenings, that is we will train you to become hairdressers. And I'm like, oh my God, like a, it was like serendipitous. I'm like, this is exactly what I needed. This was the perfect situation. So I'm like, oh my God, yes, I want to do this. My friend did not. So that was the end of her story and off she went back to school. Uh-huh. But I did from that day forward, bring my, my college books to downtown, pretended to go to college every day and was training at a hair salon. And this Amazing. went on oh my for God. months until it was time to actually break the news to my parents that... Yeah, I'm had, actually a hairdresser. I'm actually, not a college student. yeah, I'm not a college student. And, you know, you're not so going to get any grades now, in the paper. Though. So this, wow. yeah, so that kind of happened. And I moved up the, the ranks in the, our local salon very quickly. And I became the busiest junior hairstylist in a while. But then. So you were like a natural kind of. I, I, I think I was into it because it was the first time I had passion in my life. And I think mm, part of anything we like, do, if you yes. don't have passion, it's very painful to drudge through your day. Totally. It's just a job. It feels like work. It feels like work. Like, I don't love doing this. You know what I mean? I don't want to wake up and like go to school and like, I don't want to study. I don't want to pay attention to what you're saying. I don't care. Yeah. But when you care, it's exciting. You're like, oh, I want to learn. I want to absorb. I want to do everything. So yes, I was the optimal student for this and started to excel really well. But then as I was doing well, I was kind of moving up the ranks on the floor and I was from junior styles, became senior styles. And I kind of stopped and put on the brakes. I'm like, wait, how does this – it kind of hit on me. I'm like, wait a second. The goal wasn't to be a salon hairdresser. The goal was, was Cindy Crawford, Cindy Amalfi Cro- Coast. <laughs> so I kind of lost the picture for about a year. I'm like, wait a second. But what I really want to do is that. How do I do that? I talked to the owner. I said, listen, the whole idea of me coming here was, sure, I love hair, but I really kind of explained to him what I want to do. I want to do these magazines. He goes, yeah. well, that doesn't even exist here. Maybe Montreal, maybe Toronto. So then I started – he's like, well, the only thing you're going to do – to get where you want to go is you need to get to the States. And in order to get to the States, you need a visa. And I'm like, well, how do I get a visa? He goes, well, you have to have a portfolio. Oh, I didn't even think of that. I'm just like, go to New York. Yeah, he <laughs> goes, you have to have a portfolio. And then if your portfolio is good enough, you'll get an O-1 visa, which is like a 
extraordinary talent visa uh-huh. that you know people will give you, an agency will give you. So so I call all my girlfriends, start doing like crazy things on them, like mm-hmm. updos with curls and tendrils. Like uh-huh. in my mind, I thought they were genius. Right. Like I really again thought I was gifted. But it was that, delusional. Like but I that really powers you forward. Clearly, you know. I mean, it did in the end in retrospect. But, it, but yeah. wow, was I yeah. like you know what I mean to really be that cocky for something that was so bad? So these pictures were terrible. But again, in my mind, yeah, amazing. Amazing. So I then dropped the bomb to my parents. So I'm like, listen, it's the end of the college year. I haven't been going. I've been doing hair for the whole year. And I'm moving out. And then when, after I move out, I'm moving to America to become a hairdresser. <laughs> oh, my God. So, oh, my God. The floodgates at home. Flipped. flipped out. So upset. So angry. So anyways, I decided I was going to my, – my friends were escaping to South Beach. This was circa 91. Oh, the glamour. And South Beach in 1991 was the Saint-Tropez of oh, so glamorous. America. Yeah. It was super European. All the magazines were shooting there. Vogue, W. Bazaar. Gianni Versace had just bought that house that he was redoing. Oh. It was like can in Florida, Florida at the moment. So I'm like, I'm going to go there because there's tons of hair and makeup agencies, and they will – Take on this. Be fighting over you. Fighting over me. (laughs) Because I'm so damn talented. (laughs) So I get to Ocean Drive, which is like all the agencies are literally 20 meters from each. They're all within three blocks. Like all seven or eight of them. So I walk into each one. I had some crazy purple jumpsuit concoction that I had with super thin eyebrows. I do remember that. (laughs) Just side note. And I went into each one of these agencies with my portfolio under my armpit and went into the first place rejection, second place rejection, third place rejection, fourth. This went on till the very last one. So now I'm getting a sense of reality. I'm like, Okay. okay. And you probably there's other that, people right? doing this. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think we all need that all totally. the time, every day, just a reality check of like, you know what I mean? So what ended up happening on that seventh one, the very final one, again, rejected, of course. And after he rejects me, I go exit the room and there's a, a glass elevator. So there's a little vestibule. So it's like kind of like goodbye. Mm-hmm. You click in the elevator, but the elevator is not there. So it's awkward. <laughs> You're just like, You're like yeah, I already no, got rejected. I'm aware me. of this. Yeah. So anyways, a tear starts coming down my eye. The guy mm-hmm. notices, taps on the glass, gives me a finger motion to like oh. come back in. Oh. And he's like, look, kid, what are you here trying to do? And I'm just like, I'm trying to do hair. He goes, you need to be an assistant. I'm like, oh, no, I've assisted two times. I'm really good. <laughs> he's like, you're not. He goes, sit down for a second. So he sits me down. He goes around the corner, grabs a portfolio of someone he represents, yeah. a hair artist, shows me the book and starts flipping through the pages. And all of a sudden, you're his big, yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm yeah. like, oh, yeah. that's talent. Uh-huh. I didn't know that. That's what that this job requires. So Talent not and ju- some skills. Yeah, and some skills, you know, but not just cocky and confident. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So that happened. And he goes, I'm like, okay, fine. I'll assist again. What do I need to do? So he got me a job the very next morning doing bridal catalog, assisting this woman who was doing bridal catalog. And I learned immediately, like things I saw her doing right out of the gate that I'm like, oh, you can use a roller to do that. And this went on. And I learned within... Maybe a year and a half of spending time with uh, a bunch of these different people learning. And then finally, I started getting my own little jobs. But again, this sense of confidence came back to me that I'm like, okay, I'm ready for New York City now. Mm -hmm. I'm ready for the big dogs. So then I came to New York. And when I came to New York, I set up meetings with all the agencies again. Exactly same Same thing. thing. Reject, reject. This is New York. This is in Miami. This is the big dogs. You know, you need to be an assistant again. Right. And I'm just like, wow, man. I'm like, I've done this like a lot. Uh And they're like, you're still not good. You know what I mean? You still don't know what you're doing. You're like, you're not this level. 
Yeah. You might be okay for that level, but if you want to compete with the other people, this is what you need to know. Yeah. So anyways, I tried assisting while I was here, and it didn't pan out quite the way I wanted to. I wasn't even a good enough assistant to assist the top people that I was assisting. Yeah. I could not duplicate what they were doing. If they asked me to do half the head, I was like, I don't know how to do that. So I kind of got distraught, gave up on hair. So hair is finished. Okay, so here we are, circa 93. Okay, so I'm living in New York City in Soho, sleeping on a sofa. I lived on a sofa for eight years of my friend's apartment. And (laughs) during this time, I was going to, I decided I'd go back into the salon world because it's what I knew. Yeah. I'm like, I'm just going to go to Madison Avenue. I worked at this salon called Peter Coppola on 65th and Madison. Mm -hmm. And I washed hair and I swept the floors. And it was more like giving up. I was yeah, like, I'm gonna. Yeah. I cut hair out of my house, Your but I'm tail like, was my, yeah, my tail was fully down. I'm like, I suck. I'm never gonna be anything. My dream of coming to New York has been shattered, but I need to make a living, so I'll just work at the salon and I'll cut this hair out of my house. This is what I know. This is what I know, and yeah, this is the only yeah. thing I'm really qualified to do. So as I'm working in the salon, a woman would come in for her roots every four weeks, and in this was before everyone was using laptops and smartphones. So she had this giant binder, and in these subject headings, they would say Mark Jacobs, Ralph Lauren you know, Prada, yeah, all these things. All these and I'm shows. like, and I'd be like, what does this woman do? Like, and I would always be blow drying her, but looking at her notes being like, who is this lady that has connected to all these brands? Fashion. And she's like, I'm a fashion producer. I work at KCD. I'm the president. And I'm like, what's Whoa. that? You know what I mean? And she's like, well, we produce fashion shows around the world. And, you know, we put together the bottles, casting stylist teams and all stuff. And a light bulb went off. I'm like, like... scratch hair. <laughs> I want to get into this world. So I would harass her all the time. I would say to her, I'm like, listen, if you need me to work there, I will work for free. You know what I mean? Like, I just want to be around what you guys do. You guys can give me any job is fine. I yeah. just want to be in this world. So she kind of blew me off about two visits and the third visit I was just like on her I'm like listen please this is my dream I'm yeah. like I really really want to do this I, I run to wash her hair every day don't tip me don't do anything like mm-hmm. like just I want to be around this so she finally like fine here's the vice president's number call her tomorrow we're actually fashion week's around the corner we're actually looking for help right now so excited so I call her the next morning go into KCD and it was very much like for anyone who's watched the Devil Wears Prada this is where it really stems from so this, this mm-hmm. hierarchy of working at very high-end places. So uh, I got it pretty quickly. The first thing they do is a very hazing thing. So they had all these model cards that were all alphabetized. So everyone from Amber Valletta to whoever. Yeah. Whoever was with a Z. And then all of them, we're talking about 10,000 cards had fallen off the shelves. And they said basically that the the racks that were holding them all up are all gotten weak from the sheetrock. And we need you to put together this puzzle of 10,000 pieces, re-alphabetize all the model cards and within the agencies from like Ford to Elite to whatever yeah. it was. So this God. was like a puzzle of 20,000 model cards. Now. That was, nobody wanted to do it. It's like giving someone like a pile of hay and say, find me that little needle that's in there. We need that one needle. So I was uh, going through it. I was going through it, and so I was just so excited because I had this newfound, like, okay, I'm back in New York, and I'm, I'm living my dream again because now I'm close. I'm in this world. I'm in the room, kind of. I'm in the building that all the stuff goes down, even though I'm not in the room. So this goes on for about three days, and then on the fourth day, they're like, all right, they're going to install the shelves, so we're going to have you work in the main room while we're working. And I was super excited because in this room was like Marc Jacobs, Donatella Versace, Joe McKenna. Like all these major players were coming in and doing all the creative conversations for the collections to come. Mm, Stage, lighting, sound, all that kind of stuff. So I was able to hear everything. So while I was down on the ground filing all the cards, all I could do 
was listening <laughs> right. to every single thing that, that was going on. And I don't know where this courage came from, but I don't even remember vaguely because it was so long ago. But one of one of the creative types goes like, I wanted to feel like, you know, when Linda Evangelista used to cut her hair really short and it was the purple sweater she was wearing on the cover of Elle in July. And out of nowhere, I'm just like, it was August and it was orange. No. Like, oh, so that's good. Like a movie so moment. there was dead silence in the room. Like, who just dare spoke? Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. They look on the floor. They see me. There was a beat. And then someone's like, he's right. It was August. It, it was, was orange. August. <laughs> and so from there, it was instant love. Yeah. They're yeah. Like, wow. He just pulled a reference out of his right. ass. It was, yeah. He knows. Like, he memorized a cover and a girl and who shot it and when it happened. Right. He's one of us. He's one of us. <laughs> he is a diehard. So from there, it became immediately great. They said to me, like, after a couple of days, like, okay, where would you want to be? You know, there is PR, which just wines and dines all the front row. And of course, production backstage is hair, makeup, models. And I'm like, Hair and makeup models. That's where I want to be. So they're like, we'll get you to being a casting director. So then I became a casting director. I worked at Louis Vuitton and Marc Jacobs for nine years. Wow, I had no idea. And during this process, I became friendly with all all the models. Yeah. And during that process, I'd always, they'd come over for wine and I'd be like, oh, you should color your hair or you should go jet black or you should get bangs. And they're like... What do you know Why about do you hair? Know? Yeah, you're a casting person. Right. And well, I like, gave them the long spiel that I just gave you, and they're like, "Wow, okay, I'll do it. I'll color my hair black." And girls were listening to me, and then they would go on to these sets with Grace Coddington and Stephen Mizell, and they're like, "Oh my God, your hair is amazing." Harry oh Josh. My God. Harry do Josh it. does it. Who's that? The casting guy. They're like, "Yeah, Harry, the casting guy, does hair." So come oh. fast forward. My big break is about to happen. I'm going to wind up this whole quick question. Yeah, what so is the big break? The big break is then the Amy Astley, the then beauty director of Vogue magazine, was shopping oh at Yves Saint Laurent. And she goes to a model shopping. I love your hair color. Thanks. Harry Josh does it. Another model shopping independently across the rack says, he does my color too. <gasps> then Edward, the sales guy, comes in and he goes, he cuts my hair. And then she goes, oh, wait, how, how do I, I not know find... not Harry Josh's? And she goes, he does Giselle and Carolina. Call him. <gasps> oh, my God. So he writes that on a piece of paper. So then I get home that day. I get a message from her assistants like, I'm calling from the office of Amy Astley. Of course, like, I already memorized who everyone is. So I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> the beauty director of Vogue's calling me. And they said, we need to do an interview with you at your salon where, like, these girls come to. I said, I don't work at a salon. I work out of my apartment. I live in a, on a sofa of my friend's apartment. And they come here. And I had like duct tape against a broken mirror and a <laughs> uh, stool from Janovic Plaza that was on the street that they were throwing out that had paint splotches all over it. So and good. that is how I had to have them have her come. So wow. Amy's pregnant. I lived in a six-floor walk-up in a grungy building. So And all the other hairdressers, she was profiling five new hairdressers to look out for. This was in 2002. They were all in posh salons around the city. And I was like in this decrepit one-bedroom apartment. So she huffs and puffs her way up the stairs, like totally annoyed that no one told her this was a walk This was happening. Yeah. She asked for, you know, uh, 20 minutes. She's just got to understand where's the salon. I'm like, well, I wash their hair either in the bathroom sink or the kitchen sink. They sit on this footstool and this... She goes, this duct tape mirrors from where you work in front of them. Yeah. Like, yeah. And she's like, I can't believe it. Like, you know, and I gave her the whole kind of backstory that I gave you guys in a little longer yeah. thing. Plus pictures to document the, document the, the whole right, thing. Yeah. So she was just like, wow, this is crazy. I can't believe this is your story. And to make it more authentic, in the middle of our interview, the door buzzes and it's Shalom. She's locked out of her apartment and is seeking refuge for a few hours. <laughs> oh, my God. So, so she's like, she writes this she's into like, the story. This like, guy, this yeah. guy is connected to the yeah. girls. Like, you know what I mean? So then comes out March 2nd. The issue comes out, the March issue of Vogue 2002. Gwyneth is on the cover. Oh, no so way. Another connection there. Gwyneth yeah. is on that cover, standing on a rock shop by, I think, Herb Ritz. Awesome. Um, Still memorizing. Pre-blonde. 
So mm. she was like kind of honey brown. It's the first oh, time, cool. the only time anyone's ever seen her in a cover with that <laughs> color. And I then my little featurette turned into a full page, two page article on me. Amazing. Like a huge, huge article on me, and everyone else turned into thumbnails with blurbs. And that so, will do it. Huh? And that overnight changed my whole trajectory. The next day, I got an agency calling me. So my career went from twelve years of all these things to literal overnight success. So can we go back to Giselle for a second? Because you are the man behind a lot of gorgeous women's beachy waves, including hers. Yeah, I'd say I was How do really you do put, that. Like well, what's, you know? it's funny because that actually happened through osmosis. So I was casting a show when I met her in London and she was not the Giselle we know today. She was a brand new girl uh, from Brazil, barely working, barely speaking English. And I remember we became friends over the uh, seasons and years. And I'd said to her, you know, we should do something with your hair because it was really thick and really curly. And she's like, well, the only thing I really miss is the color because I never used to color my hair. But living in, near the beach, I would, it would, it would always color get these. Itself. It would just color itself. And now I don't have to do that. I'm like, well, listen, we can do that. You know, we can create this look where it's like dark on the ends and just have a couple of pieces around your face. And it's funny when you go back to Giselle's hair, she defined a decade of hair. Yeah. Like, you know how yeah. like you think maybe Farrah Fawcett did like uh -huh. the 70s. There was another person in the 80s. Then the Rachel haircut from Friends was maybe the 90s. It was Giselle's hair that really defined what a beachy wave texture, oh natural thing. So totally. and when still I still does. That's yeah. the thing. It's still going. Like she yet does it. Yeah, it doesn't look dated yet. It doesn't mm. look dated yet, and it's funny because and waves never do. No, they really don't. And, it, and I think that everyone always wants some form of texture in yeah. their hair. And there was something effortless about her texture that made it look. A, she had great hair to begin with. So let's not let's say that pretend. there's it's just yeah. me magic. Like she has beautiful hair. It's medium textured, wavy, and really doesn't need much to. Look Look good but when the right cut and the right color are added to that great head of hair it becomes magic and it becomes the picture that every woman across the country is clutching to their hairdresser saying like, <laughs> like how can i look like that like i want and that effortless color and i want that effortless texture so that became my thing i was known as the beachy bedhead guy and is that a way like is it really when women are clutching a picture is that a good technique as far as if you're Absolutely. if you want your yeah, is that to, what you do? to get a look you know even if it's totally different than your hair you want to go like bleach blonde or something you bring in the picture i absolutely think it's really important to bring in you pictures guys are not your... always laughing no i'm not i i, I always try to we, we try to ration with them and explain that you know your texture may not look like this <laughs> but now that i know what you like here's something that is like that that, that, that would work that. for you so for me i'm a big fan of pictures and i'm also a big fan of people bringing bringing in pictures with nuances. So like, let's say someone is a picky person. They're like, I like blonde hair that's platinum. Let me show you three platinums. Two of these I do not like. Mm -hmm. This one I like. So I'm like, oh, great. You see that this one looks gold. And yeah. This, yeah. You know what I mean? This, this one, one looks still, beige. Something really specific. Something, someone who's really specific. So for me, I understand. I'm like, this person is aware that that looks warmer than that does. So I like all the pictures. I love the consult. When people, women come in to meet me, um, I actually don't even take clients unless you come in for a consult first. So you come in and you have, it's free. You come yeah. in and you talk to me. And I talk to you and I talk to you about your lifestyle, what you do, what's realistic for you. Because a lot of people do get excited and they're like, oh, I'm going to go to see him. And he does all these beautiful women and he's going to make me look like that. And I really have to kind of uh, do a reality check with them right away before we even do the hair. I'm like, listen, what you're seeing that looks effortless takes two hours 
to look like that. So if that is really what you're willing to do. If you've got two hours every day. Right. Then yes, we can do this. You know what I mean? But like what you could do is maybe a version of this that will work, but it'll give you the same vibe without actually spending two hours doing it. So that's really important for me, the psychology of women, because a lot of people often... It's a very emotional situation. Like I've had a couple of actresses. I mean, this year alone, I've had done a lot of big chops on a lot of big girls. So there's always more, really like Carly Kloss and oh, Irina so Shayk and then Candace Wanapal and then yesterday Taylor Schilling. I just caught her into a bob. So it's like I know the mentality of the girls when they're doing it. It's like you have to gauge the right day to be like, are you sure today is the day? You know what I mean? Because you were feeling it last week and then the last three nights you've had your hair down and you're like loving your long hair. Yeah, what but, is that when you you go to the, you're going to get your hair cut that day and, and that you day that your day. hair looks good. Yeah, and you're it's like, lot, oh. just life, huh? Yeah, it is just life. And I think a lot of the times we Perverse. make our hair decisions based on bad hair days, mm-hmm. right? So True. if we've had like three bad hair days in a row, we just automatically assume, I need to get this a cut. Is right. I need working. to see my hairdresser because either the color's not working or the cut's not working, but I'm unhappy waking up and looking in the mirror every day. Then all of a sudden it takes two weeks to get the appointment and then you've had a streak of seven days with great hair. You're like, eh, maybe I don't need him. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. maybe, my hair, maybe like that wave has passed. Do you ever say no to someone? Like Absolutely. How a, a doctor might say no to more Botox to yes, someone? Like 100%. Someone's just like... I have very upset women in my chair often <laughs> because I will not do what they want to do. Because maybe someone got a break up, broke up with their person. And, Absolutely. You know. If I don't think it's the right thing for me, but I'm not mean about it. I just say it's not worth you wasting all your money On to not to thing. get, to get yeah. something that I'm not passionate about. You want a pixie cut? See that girl down the end? She does pixie cuts all day. Yeah. yeah. And she's, she's really good awesome. at it. She's passionate about them. She will give you that haircut. Okay. But people I don't are coming to this you because they love Giselle. Right. Yeah. Or what whatever. do you tell them? Yeah. Totally. <laughs> you know, I think it's important to kind of just understand that there, everyone can have their hair idols and who are they like. But the reality is like how much of that is going to be possible for you to achieve Your yourself. Head. Yeah. And, and also what the mentality of that is. I can start to read into people from a human level. I'm like, wow, why does she think she needs this? Mm-hmm. Like what is it that's driving her? And often it's a man. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. Like, you know, a man who will not let her hair, cut her hair short. Mm-hmm. Because what I've realized is being uh, working with women for so long exclusively, because I don't do really men, is that women cater to men. The hair choices they make cater to the men in their life. Mm-hmm. It's never for other girls. You know what I mean? That's sort of like a bob. Unless might... they work in Vogue. Yeah, totally. And they need a bob with a with They bang. need a bob with a bang. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but it is, it's really ironic because I often will see where it comes from. And they're just like, when they're like attached to certain things, it's because someone has put into their head, don't cut your hair, whatever you do. This guy won't love you anymore. Yeah, totally. That's... This guy's not going to love you if you don't cut your hair. And I don't feel like I wear the... my yeah. hair more for women though. Yeah. Do you? I, I wear like... I wear my hair because I feel like it's the only way I look good. <laughs> well, it, for you personally, knowing <laughs> you know good. your hair is but like you women have... love your hair. Yes, because she has Giselle hair. Yeah, right. Because yeah. she doesn't do anything She's to it. Got and it dries. The, the casual waves. Totally natural texture. It really does suit you. Well, um, I wonder. That's a thing. I wonder. Do you think for most women that some version of how their hair actually looks, their more natural self? Is going to be easier for them? Going to make them look better, That's or is that question. just a? Crazy. It's yeah. it's not always the case. So, for example, some like let's say you have textured hair like you, mm-hmm. right? And maybe My let's next a, question. yeah. So let's say you've got you know natural texture like yours, and I'm just like, oh, you know, you'd be better if we used a big curling iron and curled the whole thing. You know what I mean? Now you we know that your hair is not going to get oily. 
You right. can go a week. Right. Easy. Super Maybe dry. even 10 days. You know what I mean? Without having to wet it down or I restart. Do. Yeah, so exactly. <laughs> so when you're talking about dry textured hair, maybe natural is not the best for you because you're like, if I do it once really well, if I dedicate two hours or 90 minutes on it one day every 10 days, you know what I mean? Then it's like better than just washing it and air drying it every day with a lot of like curl cream. Right. You know what I right. mean? Because and then on the, so it really depends on the actual individual and what their hair's longevity is. So often if I say to a girl who I'm like, listen, you spend 15 minutes on your hair every day. That's your budget for what you're doing. What if I taught, taught you a way to build product and rollers to do it for 45 minutes at one session, but it would last you three days. Ooh, that is the dream. So it's all about calculating what is the right thing and the right equation for each person's hair to make them have good hair yeah. without sacrificing extra time on that day-to-day -day basis. Okay, what are more tips for curly, kinky hair like mine? So curly that always needs moisture. Well, and... definitely when it comes to moisture and stuff like that, you definitely just whenever whenever you come out of the shower or even in the shower when you're finishing after your conditioner, I say you've got to put in your products immediately. Whatever your balms are, your relaxing creams, your okay. defrizzants. Good. Because if you wrap your hair in a towel mm -hmm. and decide you're going to have a cup of coffee and you know answer an email before you undo your towel and start your hair – the hair is dry. The outer layer is already frizzy. You're already looking yeah. in the mirror like, okay, it's wet, but the outer layer is already frizzed because those individual strands didn't get a chance to congeal together with product. The moisture of the towel took all the water out. Right. So that's really important for textured hair. So the moisture needs to be there to like, so the product can get delivered. Yeah, in. it can adhere to that. Right. And okay. kind of can, yeah, hold yeah. it in place and then it dries with that in shape. And then you can manipulate it any way you want once the product goes in. But the biggest mistake is that people think my hair is soaking wet. Let me get some water out of it. Right. Now, okay. that's a different case if you have different hair. Right. But, but for, for texture, curly, kinky, curly, kinky coarse, dry yeah. hair, that is the key. Put the product in while it's wet or anyone with any kind of frizz. Right. Put it in while it's wet and let it dry and try not to touch it. During the drying. During the drying process. So it really just dries, congealed and smooth and, you know can hold a shape, cool. whatever shape you're going to do later. Okay. Yeah, so it's a really important part for that. And then for the flip side, if you've got baby fine hair that's craving volume, it's the exact same thing. If you do not put in your volumizing product when it's wet and lift that nozzle and point that nozzle to the dryer and lift up those roots, you cannot assume that putting on a volumizer after the roots are dry are going to give that lift. Because that little bit of root that's there has to be manipulated. Because if it's dry like this and then I spray a product on it, the root's already dry and down. There's no way it's going to magically lift its way up. If it's wet and I spray a product in there and I blast that root with heat, it changes the texture yeah. to wanting to stand upright. So every root is on, on point and they're standing up. So then I can just brush it loosely because now my volume is in. So I think the biggest problem people have is taking out too much moisture when they don't need it. And that's, speaking of drying hair, you're famous for your incredible hair dryer that kind of changed the industry. And P.S. GP helped she get did. that incredible she color. But color, I, yeah. what I want to know is blow drying what are the keys to a great blow dryer? I feel like one of them is getting your dryer. Which yeah. you, you know, just love it. But but just tips for people that are at home. How do you Absol see behind your head? How do you how do you section? I think the most important thing you can do to getting a good blow dryer is first of all get yourself with the right arsenal of things. So whether that be the right product 
that's going to help manipulate your hair. A lot of the time people like, I don't like product. It's because they don't know how to use it. Their hairdresser hasn't educated them correctly. They put it in their hair and they love how they look when they go home and they wash it and they're like, they bought everything at the front desk. But they're like, I don't know what he did because it looked really good when he did it. Now my hair just looks greasy. So it's really important to not just watch them blow dry your hair, ask questions. All right, so that's number one. Uh, number two, get a great tool that's going to really uh, perform for your hair. Often when the engine isn't strong enough on a dryer or the engine isn't strong enough on a flat iron or a curling iron, it's not going to perform. You really want to use something of the caliber of what your hairdresser is using because if they're giving you the finished result you want, you really want to use what's in their arsenal as well. So when it comes to actually doing tips, learning how to kind of do the back of your head and everything, the best thing you can ever do is do the buddy system. I always say when two girls want to learn how to blow dry hair, you blow dry each other's hair once. And what that does is when you're standing behind someone's head and you're actually putting the round brush out there and trying to pulling it down, you start to then have a visualization of the back of your head. So when it's your turn, you're like, all right, on Susie, I did that. And then I lifted this up. Yeah, you got a visual. And then I pulled it and I went like that. Never thought of that. So when you have experience doing somebody else, you are able to then duplicate that on yourself. It's when you've never seen the back of anyone else's head, it's very hard to visualize the back of your own head. So where does the volume need to go? Where does the nozzle need to point to give me the lift? If I'm trying to create lift, where does the nozzle need to point if I'm trying to diffuse frizz? You know, by aiming the nozzle down, we're gonna lose a lot of that frizz because everything is projected to get the hair shaft to be flat. Mm -hmm. So if you got kinky hair like yours and you wanna wear it silky, then you know that you can't round brush it and hold it up. Because that just creates lots of those little flyaways. So you want to go down and really get it smooth, 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 and really close that cuticle. Now someone else who just wants movement on their ends, who doesn't have frizzy hair, could wrap it up and go like that. Okay. And hold their ends. Because that hair we know is silky anyways. And nothing is going to frizz it out because it's such silky hair to begin with. And it'll still give her the shape that she wants. But even if you're using products, blow drying can be damaging, right? So like what's the the golden number of times you can do it a week? No, that is not entirely true. Blow drying can be totally protected. So like, for example, I think of uh, models that I work with often who have completely bleached hair. So maybe less so now, but Carly Kloss was platinum for a year and I worked with her 100 days last year. Mm. And her hair is in great shape and she's got finer hair to begin with because she protects it. She uses everything in her power to leave in Olaplex, which is a repairing bonding treatment. So like when she's not working and she's like on a plane, she just puts that in the back of her hair, wraps it into a bun and sleeps till she lands in her next country, whether it be Paris or Rome or wherever she is. And that's repairing at all times. Then when I'm styling her hair, I'm putting in anti... uh, like a protector sealer, like a mm-hmm. sealant on the hair so that yeah. when I'm using heat on the hair, there's actually a coating of product on there. There, There's a heat protectant. I'm like, what, yeah, the protectant. Yeah, I'm like, what is the actual term I'm looking for? A heat protectant product. Mm-hmm. So those things have polymers that actually put a coating, uh, an invisible coating over the hair that allow it, the heat to go on it. But it kind of, it's like, it's hugging the strand of hair being like, I got you, I got you, go ahead, <laughs> so dry good. me, I got you. <laughs> so that's kind of what those polymers can do. So. Again, if you have a good dryer or good tool, whether it be, you know, whatever your tool of choice is, your weapon of choice, if it's a flat iron, it's a curling iron, yeah. it's really important for that consumer to buy a high quality product that what we call in this industry a one pass tool. All right. Ooh, so that you, ooh, okay. a, like. a cheaper product 
will not give you the results in one pass. Oh, so you have to like go over You have over to go over it a million and times, and that's the damage. Yeah, okay. So I can do a whole blow dry with doing my round brush of my dryer with one pass, a flat iron with one pass, curling iron with one pass, or a wand with one pass. And, and that's less damage. It's less damage. It's when you're using a, a, a less superior item that... As may, with most things in life. Yeah, yeah you, <laughs> you get have, what you, you paid for. Yeah, yeah, you get what you pay for. And you end up with a drawer full of those things that you paid for that, that are weren't disposable. Quite, yeah. That are truly disposable. <laughs> so it's really about changing the mindset of that woman out there who maybe even has a, a, a median income, is not uber wealthy. And it's training her mindset to being like, less is more. You don't need 500 products. You don't need 500 tools. Yeah. Invest in high quality products that are the right ones for you instead of having this plethora underneath the bathroom because they And then you like, can do your own blow, blowout and save that yeah, money. Yeah, save blowout. So, and there's so many tutorials now online yeah. if you really want to learn how to do a specific thing. But I think so. We're... What we need to do, Megan, is we need to eat, we need to we need to blow dry each other's hair. Yeah. <laughs> true, true. Do oh, it, or maybe Harry can do it. For yeah, absolutely. Here. Yeah, we'll do like a video of it doing. But yeah, I think there is this mindset with women that it's the same thing of even like just jumping the gun for getting out of beauty for a sec, but even to fashion, it's like that whole idea of fast fashion. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like buying a hundred outfits that you're only going to wear once or twice because you're like, I'm going to a party, I need a new look. I'm going to run to totally. H&M. I'm going to run quality. to whatever. You want it's quality. quality. It's like buy something nice, be okay with wearing it again because it's a beautiful piece. Yeah. And you can wear it multiple times. You don't have to just have a billion shirts in your closet that are $10 each. Spend 200 on a really nice shirt and wear it more often. And the, the world, the planet, needs more people to think like this. And we need to be able to promote people to being buying less but buying strategic. Yeah. Buying good, good quality. And, and also the footprint that we're creating, right? So, like, for example, my dryer's um, manufactured in France. And a lot of the competitors manufacture in larger countries where they can manufacture mass. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I picked that is because I wanted everyone on our team all the way down to be paid fair wages all the way down. And when you go to these countries that can produce massive amounts of things, yeah. somewhere in that chain, someone's not getting paid. You know what I mean? Like someone's not getting paid and that's why they can pump out, you know, 40,000 items and make it affordable for you. And I guess from the consumer standpoint, when we hear, we're like, oh great, it's cheaper, I don't care. But we've got to start caring about yeah. where the products are coming from, how they're manufactured, what is the warranty involved with them, and why is it a superior, educating Thanks. them on why it's superior. How great is Harry Josh? Oh, he is the best. <laughs> I want him to do our hair. I, seriously, I could ask him questions all day. But now it's time to ask us some questions, some listener questions. So here's one of our Ask Jean questions that we got. And um, I know, Megan, you're going to have a perspective on this. What's your advice for people who get breakouts? Ooh, good one. Okay, so... Yeah, I, I can speak to this because I had crazy breakouts, crazy adult acne. My face sort of just erupted one day in college. I and oh, yeah, you remember. <laughs> <laughs> and my advice, I mean, it's just what you put in is so important. Like acne is such an internal thing. You mean so, what you eat? What you eat. Yeah. yeah. So like cut back on refined sugar, cut back on processed foods, you know, People and talk about dairy. I know derms talk about dairy. Did you do that? You know, I I did all those things, and eating healthfully really did help, but slowly. And the thing that really helped was going on birth control. 
because it was such a hormonal thing. Yeah, and you tried everything. I remember you went to Ayurvedic doctors. You were going to dermatologists. I tried everything, everything, and that's the hell of acne. Like, it's just, yeah. it's so tough. And I even went to a dermatologist, and he put me on antibiotics, and that just did not sit well. I had these horrible burping fits oh for, God. like, years <laughs> that persisted. And if people could see your skin now, like, you have the most glowing, perfect skin. It's, oh, um, I don't know, you know about that. So that's something to remember also is that it does get better. Right. Um, and as you say, slowness. Yeah. Um, Nothing know. happens overnight. And, you know, topical treatments can really help, too. Salicylic acid and, and moisturizing is such an important thing. People think that, oh, my skin's so oily. I have acne. I have to dry it out and, like, blitz it. But it's that you attacking need moisture. mentality. People are. Th- That's wrong. Yeah. The other thing I think that I see with people, certainly when they have, you know, not severe acne, but it's enough to bug them, mm-hmm. um, which is almost everyone in the entire world thinks that they have enough acne that's, that it's a problem, is just a routine. The reason that you know a lot of those kits work so well is just because the person's like, oh, I have to wash my face and then tone it and then yeah, put some moisturizer on. And, and not, as you say, not immediately switching to something else where you're like, okay, I've got at least six weeks where I have to consistently do this. Yeah. And then... When you finally have clear skin, at least this used to happen to me, I'd be like, oh, now I'm a person who no longer suffers from acne. I can stop all this nightmare that I've been doing. And that comes right and back. comes right back. <laughs> so it's about consistency, too. For sure. In I guess in you're saying in your diet as well as your... In your diet, in your topical routine. And also hormones. getting a few facials every now and then, if you can, really helps. It really helps. Yeah. So good. Yeah. A good Ask Jean question for everyone. Yeah. Because everyone thinks they break out. Thank you, everyone, for your questions. And if you have more questions, beauty questions of all sorts, dermatologists to hairstylists to makeup, whatever it is, we'd love to answer them. Hit us up at hashtag AskJean on Goop.com on Instagram or Facebook. And thank you, Harry Josh. Thanks again for joining us on The Beauty Closet. You can learn more about our new podcast series at Goop.com slash podcast. We hope you'll come back next Wednesday for our next chat. And in the meantime, just tap subscribe to keep up with new episodes. If you're liking what you're hearing, please rate and review the podcast and share it with a friend. Talk soon.